0: Hello, and welcome to the Dunker Punks Podcast. I'm Nancy Fitzgerald, your host. We have a very special treat for you this episode. Some of you listeners were at the beginning of the Dunker Punk movement at the Church of the Brethren National Youth Conference. Others have heard me mention Jared McKenna, who first said, You're just a bunch of Dunker Punks at that conference. Well, Josh Brockaway, who is the Church of the Brethren Director of Spiritual Life and Discipleship, has an interview with Jared to delight us and, as you can well imagine, to challenge us. You don't need to be brethren to love the work that Jared McKenna is doing. So let's get fired up by listening to the Dunker Punk theme song by Jacob Krause.
1: I don't want to be rich, don't want to be popular, don't want to be selfish, no. Don't wanna be a goat, don't wanna be ignorant, don't wanna be blindfolded, I just wanna be countercultural. I don't wanna be violent, don't wanna have a vendetta, don't wanna be vengeful, no. Be a soldier, don't wanna be militaristic, don't wanna help that cycle. I just wanna be a countercultural pacifist. I don't wanna be a racist, don't wanna be a capitalist, don't wanna be a sexist, no. I don't wanna pass judgment, don't wanna hold grudges want to be hateful, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditional lover. I don't want to shop at Walmart, don't want to grow Monsanto, don't want to drink Coca-Cola, no. I don't want to burn petrol, don't want to eat perfect fruit, don't want to feel guilty, I just want to be a countercultural, pacifistic, unconditionally loving, organic gardener. I want to be authentic, I want to be radical, I want to be optimistic, honest, beautiful, I want to be humble, I want to be progressive, I want to be open like John Wesley, or Sarah Major, or Anna Mouse. I wanna be like Martin Luther, or Martin Luther King Jr., like Santa Claus, Johnny Appleseed, Dirk the Gandhi, Alexander Mack, John Klein, George Fox, or Jesus Christ, but, but mostly, I just wanna be me,
0: I just wanna be me. Are you ready to be challenged? Jared lives in Perth, Australia. He is a pastor and activist in justice issues. His passion comes across in this audio as he speaks about immigration difficulties in the many immigrants who live with him and his family. The first home project is the name of the effort and his home. Listen as Josh prepares us for this pivotal phone interview.
2: Merry Christmas, Dunker Punks. I'm really glad to present this conversation I had with Jared McKenna. See, just a few days into Advent, he posted a letter he had written to the Australian Immigration Services in which he defended the Christian faith of a member of his church and participant in the First Home Project. I noticed in Jared's writing a candor that emerged from a deep relationship with the man. And I noticed a profound witness in the story of the man himself, and I knew from the letter that it would be a perfect opportunity for a Christmas time Dunker Punk podcast. See, the rest of the world is winding down from the Christmas fever, but we as Christians are just now entering the season. For four weeks in December, we weren't in Christmas time, we were in Advent, preparing in hopeful anticipation for God's incarnation. And now, after December 25th, we are finally celebrating that fact that God came in the flesh and dwelt among us, as the Gospel of John says. Or as Paul says, that God was in Christ, reconciling all things back to God's self. So here's an interview with Jared, a conversation about the embodied character of our faith, about how we can present to the world the continuing story of the New Testament, of the Jesus story and how our way of life is a better story, one that counters the Hollywood stories that we see designed with special effects for our own entertainment. I hope you hear in Jared's voice an admonition to us as Dunkerpunks that the best of our tradition is engaged in local community ministry, not in abstract letter writing, position posting, or even participation in protests. While those things are important, they should emerge from our lived relationships. They should emerge from our ministries with those on the margins in our own communities because that is the embodied character of the Christian testimony. It is not from abstract positions or some cosmic reality that our faith emerges, but from the very fact that God dwelt in our flesh and transformed all the world. So, like... Every other conversation, this one took place in the midst of a hurried life. So in the background, you get to hear the Brockway house at bath time. But it was a keen reminder to me that none of these things in our faith emerge out of nothing, but are rooted in community life, in family life. So I pray that Jared's story, that the story of his letter, will challenge us to reclaim the Christian narrative of Incarnation. Enjoy, and Merry Christmas. So, Jared, when you started and talked to us at NYC about the Dunker Punk imagination, uh, you told us the story of the first home project. Um, And since then, Australia has been in the news related to um, uh, refugee crises and migrant issues um, can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on, especially with your relationships in First Home Project? Yeah, sure. And Josh, um, uh,
3: things haven't got better; they've they've got worse. And if maybe that's one of the big takeaway lessons is that our our witness is not about being um, successful; it's about being faithful. And there's something something in that, particularly when I uh, know I think Josh. For me, it's after years and years of working. Uh, with people who are living with people who are seriously um, drug-addicted and uh, um, in in and out of being incarcerated in prisons, um, that if if our hope is um, merely to see things change, we end up uh, thinking uh, it's all about us and we give up um, that non-coercion, non-force part, which is so central to... Dunker practice and, and we end up um, uh, choosing a, a different way other than um, the suffering love of Christ um, so First Time Project continues to um, tick along I think there is uh, 14 recently arrived refugees living here with me at the moment um, from places like Afghanistan and Sri Lanka and Pakistan and um, and we, we continue to try and embody Christian hospitality in the midst of a, a nation which is uh, leading the world in showing cruelty to those who need safety, who are, are fleeing for war and persecution, which is, who are often referred to as um, refugees. Um, and so that, that's a little bit of the context of here at home.
2: So just recently you posted a letter um, that you had written to support a member of your church, which I wasn't sure if it was a First Home Project person or not, but you had posted it <coughs> um, arguing, as you said, for their Christianity, for their faith, uh, making a case to the government. you want to say some more about that letter and, and th- those like them that you said you've had to write all too frequently?
3: Yeah, sure, Josh. Um, one of the things that uh, at West City we face is we are seen... I guess easier over 20 uh, recently arrived refugees come come to faith um, or, f- or find a home for their faith at uh, West City Church. And um, one of the natures of the current Australian situation means that as pastors, um, Phil and myself, we get asked to write letters for these Christians uh, proving their their faith and so the immigration department will literally ask some theological questions in their, their meeting uh, like um, describe the dual nature of Jesus, humanity and divinity. Now I, I bet a bunch of your listeners listening to that, uh, the podcast now will go well I would actually struggle to, to do that or um, what is the, the commencement day for Lent? Mm-hmm. And again I, I bet there's a bunch of uh, Duncan Punk will go oh you know what Easter's really important to me but I'm not really sure when Lent starts or even uh, what's the date for Easter next year and so um, normally the letters uh, are trying to say yes they're a part of our congregation, yes uh, they were baptised into um, the church here, yes uh, they're active member but this particular letter I kind of had enough and I um, uh inspired by my friends and their faith and what they've faced
2: I, I wrote something of slightly different tone and you let that i mean you let that frustration show through in part because of this deep relationship you had with them right that, that these persons are um confronted with questions about their faith because people are afraid of anybody coming into the country right they're they're trying to find ways to marginalize others right
3: Totally, and maybe what's important to say is that um, one of the wonderful things about the Dunkerpunks tradition is that um, no creeds but the New Testament. Uh, I say that as somebody who loves the uh, Apostles and Nicene Creed, but one of the things about that is that it forces Dunkerpunks to say, our tradition is not just about statements, we've got to actually live these creeds in such ways that the we get caught up in the narrative of the New Testament, that it's not something we merely look back to, but um, like those in the New Testament we, we look to, to Christ and um, the, the gift of God's gracious future which is approaching us, and that we get to take part in, so it's actually a looking forward to God's future that it is uh, approaching us so it's not merely about making statements and uh, writing letters and all the rest, but you have to embody the story in such a way that um when you do make statements the first thing people have um heard if you will is actually your life before they see the sign or read the letter or read the editorial or whatever else so um i think that
2: is some of the impact that that it's had and why it gained so much traction and and I'm, i'm happy to read it if you'd like josh yeah please do yeah share it with us
3: yeah yeah So this is uh, this is a letter to the Australian Immigration um, Department about um, this brother, and for the purpose of this, I'll call him Ali, and give you a sense of um, uh, a person behind uh, who this is, but that's actually not his his given name. So here's the letter. As a pastor, I know few Christians who have risked so much for their faith as my brother Ali. I know a few Christians whose life story reads like the early church. You attend underground worship meetings. Your mentor is arrested, tortured, thrown into jail, and you're being hunted down because of your confession of Christ. and you have to run to your life for your life to another nation, much like Joseph and Mary did, albeit by boat instead of a donkey. What's more incredible is that my brother responds to all of this without bitterness. Instead, he prays for those who are persecuting him. He practices costly forgiveness. And he lives with a generosity of heart and a thankfulness for his salvation. Now, I've written enough of these letters as a pastor trying to, quote, unquote, prove my congregation are genuine Christians. So may I suggest that Ali becomes the model you assess people's faith against. Look at the way he loves God, his neighbour, and even his enemies. Look at his life. Looking at his life, my question is not, is he a genuine Christian? My question is, am I? His passion for Christ is marked by compassion and a quiet contagion. I've seen him lead a number of his friends to faith as they've been moved by the simplicity and sincerity of his loving example. To say his... Con- contributions to our church community are significant would be an understatement. While he hasn't studied theology, he passes people by the way he comes alongside others. I can honestly say that I pray that I too one day might have faith like him. He embodies perfectly that Christian faith is not a set of 15 ridiculous philosophical propositions to believe before breakfast. Instead, It's a loving relationship with Christ that expresses itself in service of others. If only our nation was teeming with people of practical compassion, like Ali, with such gentle conviction and practical concern. West City Church is richer, our faith community deeper because of this brother. That's not to mention the contribution he's also made to First Home Project where he's actively involved. What does he believe about the virgin birth? I'm not sure. Does he know the date that Advent starts? I couldn't tell you. Could he articulate in his own words what it means to be a triune, uh, to believe in a triune God? Look, I know theologians who can't do that in their own words. But does he know Jesus? And does he love Christ and live Christ's love? You bet. He told me today that if you send him back, he would die loving like Jesus. He paused and then he looked at me in the eyes and laughed and said, but I would prefer to live loving like him here. So if the Australian government rules for some reason that his faith is not genuine, that our go- then our government needs to deport most Christians in Australia. Because if he's not a follower of Jesus, I'm not sure I am either or any of us for that matter. Regards, Jared McKinnon,
2: teaching pastor, West City Church, co-founder of First Home Project. Jared, when I first read the letter after you had posted it, uh, I have to admit, I probably shared your frustration, but also the, that feeling of if I can't live up to his example, um, then I'm not sure where my faith stands either. I mean, I can talk about the dual natures of Christ or pick the date for Advent or Lent, but it's profound to think about someone who could say as easily, but I prefer to love, love and live like Jesus where I am.
3: Yeah, or the other bit, is the bit that gets me, Josh, is like if they send me back, he's talking about being martyred. I, I worship with people who, like under the current Australian uh, system, best case scenario, he'll get uh, a shared visa, which means that he'll have five years in Australia and then it will be reviewed. Um, so in a decade's time, say he gets married and has children, his future isn't secure he has got no st- imagine what that does that in 5 years time even best case scenario you may be sent to a place where because of your baptism because of your confession of christ you may be killed mm-hmm. and for for dunkerpunks to actually enter into that reality that um, the, the kind of radicalism we're talking about is not merely being you know, anti-Trump, that's cheap. Like, uh, th- th- that's that's easy. We're, we're talking about um, letting our, our critique of the, the, the current situations we find ourselves in uh, be lived out in such ways that people go, the way you're living is beautiful. Why? Why do you live like that? And, and it, it's those kind of being ready to... Give an answer for the hope we have because we're actually living something, because there is something seen in our life that um, raises questions. Um, that's a that's a completely different reality, which this brother's life points to in ways that don't make sense unless Jesus is raised from the dead.
2: It also, it also doesn't make sense unless God enters human life, right? I mean, totally. so we're yeah. in we're in Christmas season. This this podcast is going to roll um, soon after Christmas, and uh, it reminds me of of Paul in Colossians, right? God was in Christ, reconciling, reconciling all things, right? All people, all mm. things, um, and that goes from beginning the Christmas story through to resurrection, right? Um,
3: yeah, But that, yeah. that it's deeply yeah. embodied, right? Like Second Corinthians, or whether we're talking like Colossians one. And it's, it's – uh, um, uh, I love in the, the first chapter of Colossians that there's that incredible sense that we're talking about this, uh, this cosmic reality which is seen in the crucified, uh, uniting everything uh, on earth and in heaven and under the earth. There's nothing left out. And um, we've got a lot of people who want to talk about cosmic realities or talk about the historical Jesus. But what um, Advent and Christmas demand of, of us is that we bring them together
0: mm-hmm.
3: in in a in a messy kind of setting of whether it be a cave or a, a poor living room um, kind of situation in Luke's Gospel, or, or be it a stable. Um, uh, the, the point is, it it's not the courts of power There are no marble floors. It is messy and. Um, she's pregnant we're not married i'm in a like a communal context where there's no way that that's respectable and we're having to flee for our lives because of Herod and this is how god shows up and where god shows up and so whether it's the, the wood of the stable or the wood of the cross both of them are, are the backdrop and setting of this the divine life which actually r- reveals to us um the non-coercive nature of how God's reign, God's rule, God's kingdom has come about in King Jesus,
2: and it transforms those communities. Right? These, it because God becomes flesh, engages in what we might call cosmic realities in the flesh. It changes how people interact to one another. It changes our expectations. It changes. It challenges the stories of those around us. It. <clears throat> um, it forces us, and I. It, this was what was co- so convicting to me about reading your letter was, it wasn't a letter, even though it was a letter, it wasn't a letter that we might just everybody sign on to, right? Like, we want to we speak truth to power, so we're going to write a letter. It was, let me tell you about this person that I know who faces this daily and still chooses to love like Jesus, right? Still chooses the non-coercive way.
3: Right. Josh, let, let me tell you a, a little bit about how this brother's interview actually went, because um, it, it's incredible in terms of that. So one of the things they ask is, what is your favorite Bible passage? Again, Australian immigration, who have no Christian conviction, the people asking the questions um, are most likely your average Australian. So they're, they're not Christian in any sense. And uh, they're asking him what is his favorite um, uh, Bible passage, and he says when Jesus is being judged by Pilate now this is him being judged by the Australian Immigration Department, and they say what is your favourite Bible passage, he says when Jesus is being judged by Pilate, but actually Jesus is the judge, and they, um, Pilate doesn't realise it now that, that is such a profound, that is somebody who realises and one of the things I love about the Dunker Punk, the, the Brethren um, Witness, is that it's not just anabaptism, it's anabaptism with this profound folk communal mysticism. Um, there, there is a, a devotional, in, in the same way that um, uh, the best of evangelicalism, uh, I'm talking 19th century evangelicalism at its best, has this personal, intimate relationship, like, uh, this brother, who we're referring to as Ali, his his personal love for Jesus isn't ideological. His theology is not a, a set of beliefs or books or um, interesting arguments over dinner with other people. Who like for him, it's it's the reason why he's willing to face death and nonviolently love his enemies, doing it because it it is so deeply real for him so real that he can walk into a situation where his future is on the line and he's being judged and he can have the confidence to say actually jesus is the judge (laughs) and 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 like he knows very well that matthew 25 says how you welcome the stranger that was actually jesus Mm -hmm. and so he knows that he's in a situation where how the australian government responds to him in that interview is actually how they respond to Jesus, and so throughout the interview, he said things, and this is how he he asked me, "What is the word for imam in English?" So I can say I'm not an imam, um, uh, and I, I said theologian is probably the word you want to use. And so throughout the interview, when they asked him questions that he wasn't sure about, it, his answer was, "I am not a theologian, but God loves you, and God loves me." Because of Jesus. That's his theology. That's what he kept coming back to. God loves you and God loves me because of Jesus. I think Dunkerpunks need to seriously push into what this brother is saying. That, that kind of practical folk mysticism of God loves you. You who are putting me on trial. You who disagree with my witness. You who are asking me, God loves you. And actually God loves me. And the reason why is because of Jesus. That's, that's a spirituality that cuts through this kind of, you know, fundamentalist, progressive, kind of modernist reactions and asks something from us that might actually might might cost our lives, Josh.
2: Well, I, I think you're spot on because I think, you know, in the U.S., everybody's either ecstatic about the election process or wringing their hands, which yes. I, I think neither one of them is the right answer, in part because I think this is... An opportunity for the church to live into being the church again, um, right? That that's yeah. an invitation into engaging people, recognizing that exactly what he just said: God loves you and God loves me because of Jesus, and that's the starting yeah. point, right? So, yeah. um, is it think about this coming four years for the U.S.? Um, I wonder if American Christians can get past their. Uh, fundamentalist progressive frameworks and begin to see themselves as engaging the people who are most in need, Um, finding the margins, finding the people who are threatened um, and literally putting themselves in places where their lives are at stake or their livelihoods are at stake. Because again, it comes down to um, because Jesus, right? Because Jesus, that's why I do this. Yeah. So what would you say to some dunker punks um, that are, probably going to be facing, I mean, chances are we'll be facing difficult times in regards to whether that's immigration or our Muslim neighbors or um, even just some some vile things from our own communities that, that surface because of the rhetoric of the election. What would you say to some dunker punks?
3: Yeah, I would say look back, look forward, and put down roots. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Look back in terms of the Brethren story and, and how beautiful that is. D- Dunkerpunks, if it is to be anything meaningful at all, it, it must be it must be actually capturing how the politics that America needs to see embodied in an alternative community is the politics of triune baptism into Father, Son and Holy Spirit into a community that lives a God who is self-emptying love, a God who is a dance of community, a God who thinks not about one's own interest but is this overflowing love, There, there is a future for for, for Dunkerpunks. Looking back to practices like communion where uh, an alternative economics of, of voluntary sharing with those who are poor, and people miss that in the New Testament there's all, always this talk about like uh, sharing first um, uh, with those who are poor in our own community. And people go, well, I think we need to be you know, a little bit more open-minded the New Testament, share with those who are beyond our community. You don't share with your community. <laughs> there are poor people in your community who you don't share with. Before you critique the New Testament, actually enter into the fact that until you share economically, like your paycheck, with other poor people that, that you live amongst, you can't be anything else for people outside that community. Communion is that practice. Communion is that practice of um, breaking bread and, and sharing together. Um, anointing another means that you're aware of the illness or ailment or situation they are facing, and you can get close enough to actually touch them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not just make a statement to them publicly, but actually get close enough to touch them. Uh, uh, Foot washing requires a proximity to the pain that regardless of what their position is, if Judas's position on Jesus is that I'm going to force his hand so he takes up a sword because it's coming down to the wire, and yet Jesus still washes Judas's feet, the practice of foot washing for for Dunker punks means that those who are, you know, rabid Trump supporters and think he is the second coming of Christ, you still need to wash their feet, mm-hmm. and that's really hard for, for some to hear. And you, um, but it's only in proximity and actually hearing what are the real needs that are being expressed and serving them practically. Um, renouncing the sword, taking up the towel, mm-hmm. washing feet, and you hear that um, Trump, what he has actually appealed to, is, is people who um, have felt like no one has listened to them. It's actually pretty hard to anoint somebody or wash their feet without listening to them, because it requires you being close enough to serve them. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a radical practice that the rest of your society and my society need, and the church is uniquely equipped to be able to do that and and the Anabaptist tradition and Dunkerpunks in particular need to look back and actually recover these these practices that uh, have been so central. I also mentioned looking forward, what I mean is um, our imaginations need to be shaped by the coming kingdom, the coming reign of God. We we have to imagine a future um, which is worthy of the love we see revealed in Jesus. And our, our daily practice of um, uh, spending time in uh, contemplative prayer and in sung worship and in service of others and in reading scripture um, and, and in, in journaling or, or the other practices that actually form our life as a form of resistance because, Josh, the reality is that all the money going into making all the Netflix shows that we're all addicted to, um, we can't compete with that level of Passivity that it creates in us uh, unless we're actively involved in communities that work to make us not um, apathetic, passive consumers mm-hmm. but active participants in the, this triune God whom Church of the Brethren baptize into. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is it for us to be formed in such ways that we're found, and it's uh, neither the fundamentalism which has so gripped America or the progressivism which um, has a, a new pharisaical expi- light spirit of thank you that I'm not like those other people, but can actually be found in poor communities confessing um, uh, that I'm part of the problem and actively taking part in, in God's solution, and which is a final bit, right, mm-hmm. that we need to put down roots. We need to put down roots in real communities, um, not just uh, show up and and blow into the the latest uh, protest that is on, but organise, mobilise, move into poor neighbourhoods, listen to the people that uh, you you can talk so often about. It's a very different thing to talk about the poor and to talk with the poor, and only one of them is actually transformative. I'll, I'll let your listeners guess. Um, But but, the the importance of of actually um, uh, don't just talk about Black Lives Matter. Show me how that looks in your life. Show me where you're actually um, creating space for um, your sisters and brothers um, uh, who don't benefit from white supremacy um, what, what does that actually look like? It, it, it's time for holy experiments. It, it's time for receiving the kind of joy that... And if, if your listeners are interested, Josh, I, I, my sermon on Sunday went into much more detail around um, uh, th- this brother and what he is um, teaching me about joy and joy to the world in um, you know a time where a lot of us are really devastated. And I'm not just talking about my, my personal situation, but I mean... 2016 in the world, whether it's Brexit or the US election or what's happening in Syria, or that, like, there is so like our unprecedented ecological crisis, and yet it's brothers like our brother who we're calling Ali who have so much to teach us about what joy looks like because of christ and um if that's helpful i'll offer that as a resource to people Mm -hmm.
2: yeah we'll put a link to it we'll share um one of the things that this reminds me of is my friend alan Kreider, mennonite historian just wrote this book called the patient ferment i've
3: I've just got it Uh, I've, i've literally i'm sitting two meters away from it it's
2: brilliant um one of my favorite sections of that book is two well two things one is um, <clears throat> Tertullian in the 2nd in the century around there says um, the people around them say look at those Christians and see how they love one another yeah. right? and that was the most profound witness that he could point to um, yeah. and, and then another mm-hmm. example it was kind of speculation on Alan's part in the book but he says think about <clears throat> a middle class guy right in Christian worship standing there praying next to um, someone who's trying to find bread for the day and he hears that person say, Lord, help me find bread for my family today. And the the middle class guy, after worship, takes the man by the hand, takes him to the market and buys bread and goes home with them to share a meal with them. Right? that it wasn't some profound out-of-this-world miracle where the guy finds bread that just shows up on his table, but it's in this deep relationality that emerges yeah. from Christian practice, right? That emerges yeah. because we're in a community that's not segregated by class, ethnicity, gender. We are worshiping together, and we find each other's needs, and as a community can begin to transform them because we have this other imagination, that forward-looking yeah. imagination. It's the yeah. best part of the book. It's... I. Keep coming back to that because I think Alan's spot on.
3: Yeah, and we're of a generation that wants all that stuff but won't rock up to worship.
2: Right, because it seems totally disconnected from our right. Yeah. Oh, it's also which, which, the, it's also not is, big Netflix entertainment, right?
3: Yeah, which is understandable. But it's it's the boringness of actually sitting with people who um, are maybe you know have blue rinse gray hair <laughs> and. Um, Uh, who have so much to tell us uh, around their lives of service if we could only take the time and get over our ageism and actually realise the wisdom that is present there even if it expresses itself with hymns and other things that um, don't really float our boat um, they're the kind of places we need to be found and be found there with people even if it's just two or three that we can go, right what does this look like if we put legs on it? Yeah.
2: What does it look like if we make this practical? Yeah. yeah. What if we take this to the neighborhood and engage the people yeah. that are right here? Yeah. yeah. Well, Jared, it's about that half hour mark that I told you I'd let you go, but um, I I always love Great our talking, conversation. Great
3: talking, I love your work and Witness. I, I love what you lot are doing. Please send my love to all all the crew. Um, it's nice to, to hear from people from, from time to time. So, Big love to all my sisters and brothers and who were faithfully going the nonviolent way of Jesus in the midst of what is a pretty horrific reality at
2: the time. Well, mate, you just did it. You just sent your love. Um, th- <laughs> th- thanks for taking time, and uh, you know I appreciate your social media stuff too because it it gives me a witness. It gives me something to to challenge myself by, but also know that there are those who are. I'm living this like radically incarnational approach to being Christian. So thanks for all you do. Thanks for your love. Thanks for your prayers. Uh, And we'll send some Dunker Punk love your way. Thanks, mate. Yep, peace. Peace. Peace is not peace without
3: justice.
0: That is the theme of Jewish and Christian scripture. The heart of Jesus' preaching are the many Hebrew scriptures about justice that were so important to his ministry. Plus, he conveyed to us the heart of God's passionate love for humankind. Someone recently asked me what was at the heart of my preaching. I answered that if we call ourselves Christian, we need to act the way that Jesus did. And live according to his teaching and example. Then I realized I'm preaching to myself. I always am. In this interview, Jared reminded me of how far short of Jesus' way I fall when he said, We have the poor living in our city and town, and we need to share with them. How often do I really share? Certainly, Jared is literally sharing his home with those seeking asylum in Australia. I felt my own indignation rise when he described the kind of questions these Christian refugees are asked in order to prove their faith. Some are the same questions I was asked in my ordination interview. And believe me, I took days preparing those answers, and I still couldn't cover the breadth of the many ways Christians have answered those questions over the years. Yet how easy it was for me to be indignant. Here I am, jogging the gym track in my free time. These refugees have been running for their lives, and now they hope for a few years' respite. When have I been called to such a witness for my faith? What about you, Dunkerpunks? Did you feel challenged to reach out and help someone in your town who has sought refuge from those who would harm them? Harm them for who they are, or where they come from, or for their religion? Arlington Church of the Brethren recently bought some signs from a Mennonite group that say, No matter where you are from, we are glad you are our neighbor. And the sign is written in Spanish, English, and Arabic. These signs and decals for our cars are a small gesture, but an important step to making our love public. Plus, every time we drive into our driveway or walk up to our car, we are challenged to live the love that that word of welcome proclaims. That's the challenge for this week, Dunkerpunks. Live the love. Whether you choose immigration or racial bias, sexual discrimination, LGBTQ equality, or any other front for your justice work, pick one. Learn more about what is happening in your area. Find others with whom to partner and share the peace of Jesus that works for justice in your part of the world. And if you are already working for justice in a specific place, find someone to share your passion with. Jesus quoted the scriptures of his day when he was asked what were the most important things to do or the greatest commandment to observe. He said, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. May those words be the words we Dunker punks live by in two thousand seventeen. Go in peace, with justice. The Dunker punks podcast is a collaboration among a dozen contributors who supply audio inspiration for we who seek to live the way Jesus did. The Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapters five through seven is at the heart of our instruction. I am Pastor Nancy Fitzgerald of the Arlington Church of the Brethren, your host. Suzanne Lay is our producer. Jacob Krause created and performed our music and edited the audio this episode. Listen on iTunes and give a rating if you can. Or find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including the arlingtoncob.org dpp site. On social media, we are Dunker Punks Pod. Give us a shout. Sarah Ullmanik will be back in the next episode. Thank you for listening.